This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Here's an interview I've been wanting to share for a while. I was the guest on Missio Day with host Jonathan Fessenden, and we were talking about Catholic movies. It's a collaboration I've been enjoying a lot. The movie was Mel Gibson's Apocalypto from 2006. It's about the Mayas in the Yucatan Peninsula on the eve of the Spanish conquest of Mexico. So talking about it now follows well from the Aztec prophecy episode in the Virgen of Guadalupe that we just recorded with Julian and Monique Gonzalez last month. It was episode 74. It came out in December of 2023. And then also the most recent interview with Brant Hansen, episode 75, which came out at the beginning of the year 2024. Uh, It's about how to be a good and useful man in today's world. The connection is because we talk about the role of Mel Gibson. He's such a devout Catholic and such a human sinner, as I am, as you are, but he's in the public eye, which is lidless and unrelenting. So he's interesting already, but but through him, we enter into a discussion of how the church should behave in the face of her scandals. We are such broken tools, all of us, and yet we still have to proclaim the gospel in this fallen world. So that's where I'm going, and that's what we talked about And in any case, this movie is a masterpiece and just an interesting opportunity for historical discussion. So let's talk it over. As usual, the original YouTube interview is below with other useful links. But what follows here is a slightly abridged audio version. I enjoyed it so much, and I hope you do too. Apocalypto. It's a movie that was directed by Mel Gibson. Many people probably know the movie, right? I'm thinking so. <laughs> if you don't know the movie, go watch it and come back because there's a there's a lot of surprises in it that I think we absolutely have to talk about that are fun to watch on your own first. Yeah, pause the video, come on back. <laughs> yeah. And right well, now you can watch it on Amazon Prime if you have that for free. So go do that. So let's jump yeah. into it. You want to give a little detail on the film? I know that you've, Mm -hmm. you know, you're like really a scientist here. This is it. This is my field. I study 16th century Spanish empire. This is the 16th century Spanish empire. And it is a, this film is an, for me, it's an absolute joy. And it is a great spectacle. It's a proper Hollywood spectacle, like Ben-Hur, like um, Cleopatra, which I don't 
think I ever saw. But like any of those big classic Hollywood movies with uh, where they build a Maya city, you know, there's no CGI in it. Uh, Mel Gibson recorded this entirely in Yucatec Maya, you know, kind of like Passion of the Christ was filmed in Aramaic with a little bit of Latin here and there or some Greek, maybe. I don't remember. But this is filmed entirely in Maya with subtitles. Um, all the actors are speaking to each other in that language. Uh, the the two principal figures, the hero and the villain, are both American actors, and they had to learn the language. And I think everybody else are Mexican extras who are native Maya speakers. I think uh, there's, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands or millions of people speak Maya. It seems to me like one and a half million people speak Nahua, which is the Aztec language. When I was a high school kid, I did a two-week exchange trip in Maya country uh, in the state of Campeche, and my host family, they spoke Maya, um, not 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 mainly, but they knew it. You know, it was kind of like if you have a friend for, whose parents are from another country, they know a bunch of words and they're happy to share. And since we were all 16, they would teach me all the curse words and stuff like that. So um, the Maya culture is alive and well uh, in the year, at least it was when I was there in the late 90s or mid 90s long ago and i'm sure it's even stronger now so these people are with us uh they're they are an, a thriving indigenous population um and when you talk to people who study mexico especially um there's a lot of you know sacrifice that continues uh, on covertly um i interviewed a guy named david tavares who works on the zapotec uh indigenous people in oaxaca and he finds animal sacrifices. And I asked him explicitly, is there still human sacrifices? And he said, well, we don't, you know, it's hard to say because it's so, it's not something people want to share. So, um, so that's the idea. We, we begin, you, yeah. Sorry, I'm glad you brought that that up because there was something I wanted to ask you. You had sent me a podcast that I was telling you that I was listening to. I actually very enjoyed it, the one out of the UK. Uh, do you remember the name of the podcast? It's called Best Pick. And it's uh, it's it's spelled P I C K, but it has two meanings, like you know, the, our best choice, but also like the best pick, as in the best motion picture. Um, and so there, there are a bunch of film critics who have really done their homework, and they're quite critical uh, of Mel Gibson, uh, you know, and perhaps fairly, but I I think they are also critical of his work. I was glad to hear. I mean, I was glad to listen to that podcast because it even challenged me in particular ways, being being a Catholic, because I, I kind of get the thread that they they really run on board with a lot of, you know, particular religious ideology, and then that's fine. But one thing I wanted to mention was, I believe the guy's name is John Dorney. He had uh, mentioned that, well, Mel Gibson got it wrong. It was the Aztecs that were doing the human sacrifices, not the Mayans. Um, you want to do some clarification on that? Because from my understanding, I've done research on this too. There are certainly was Mayan sacrifices of human sacrifice going on. There's a lot of literature on this topic. So I'm not sure why, you know, maybe he just didn't do his homework on that because I do think he's a very learned individual or there was a bias of just against Mel Gibson. Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. Yes, there's definitely Maya human sacrifice. They definitely have the the poles where they gather human skulls in their temples. These are called Tsompantli. They're present at Chichen Itza, which is the big Maya temple that I visited as a teenager in in um, Campeche and Yucatan back in the 90s. 
So it it definitely exists. I think because we know the Aztecs better, because that is on the Aztec capital of Tenochtitlan. That's where Mexico City stands today. So when you go to Mexico City, you're very likely to go visit that. And I think most Americans who visit Mexico will see Aztec ruins before they see Maya ruins. Um, and what do we need to say about the Maya civilization? It reached its peak 500 years before the Spanish came. So what we're dealing with here is sort of a post-classical Maya civilization. They are the remnants of a great civilization. We're getting them 500 years later. So they reached their peak before that. It was an Aztec period. The The big kids on the block were the Aztecs, or the um, they're called the Mexica, which is where we get the word Mexico, or the Nahua people. They definitely had human sacrifice, but just because the Aztecs were the bigger kids on the block at the time, people think, oh, he just wanted to film it in the forest, but it's really a commentary on, on the Aztecs. We don't meet the Aztecs until 1519 when Cortez uh, lands at Veracruz. We knew the Maya 10, 15 years ago when this movie is set. So Columbus sails the ocean blue in 1492. He mm -hmm. first goes to the Caribbean, the Spanish setup in Hispaniola, which is the island where Haiti and Dominican Republic are today. And then they set up in Cuba. So Cuba is really the first big colony. And from Cuba, they start sailing in, in a number of directions. And so by 1502, 1504, there are Spaniards shipwrecked uh, on the off the Maya coast. There are Spanish contacts with the Mayas in Yucatan. They just haven't met the Aztecs yet. So I think it's very uh, appropriate to set it in, in, in the Maya world. And I've read, you know, some critiques like, oh, the uh, the murals are from the wrong era. Or one very interesting one is by a historian I admire um, named um, Camila Townsend, who says there definitely is human sacrifice, but it's a somber thing. Whereas here it's, you know, it's kind of like a, a, a rave or an orgy or or like I sort of feel these are the Romans at the Colosseum, you know, thirst, you know, going wild for for blood, for bread and circuses. And for Mel Gibson, that works well because he's trying to comment on a decadent society. And he's using this, the Maya city, to show us, you know, you can be rich and sophisticated. You can be wise in the ways of science as the Maya were, but you can also lose your moral compass. And so he takes this uh, simpler society of people in the forest who've never been into the big city and they're captured by slavers and taken, taken into the city to be sold or sacrificed as slaves. And they have, you know, they have the natural horror that anybody who lives a simple life in the countryside suddenly comes to the big city and it's shocking and horrific. So he's using that as a commentary for us. Uh, and he's reflecting all humans in the mirror of this time and place, right? This, uh, the narrative is in the detail and he's setting the narrative at this time. So for his purposes, you know, maybe he doesn't care which mural is on, on the wall. Yeah. But other people say like, hey, we see so few Mesoamerican indigenous people on the big screen, why would you pick why would you pick this? It would be as if, you know, all of Europe were the Roman Colosseum where people are cheering as someone's getting devoured by a lion and then we're like, see, this is what Rome is. Whereas Rome is a number of things. We're just seeing the darker side of it. So that's the critique. Yeah. Which I, you know, I, I think is worth listening to, but I, I don't agree with it. Um I, I think all the good guys are indigenous Maya people too. It's like that famous line from Solzhenitsyn where the, the line of good and evil goes through the center of every human heart. Mm. We're all good. We're all evil. Yes, yes. Yeah. Perfect quote for this movie. You know, the opening quote, by the way, is really what uh, stuck me in a lot of ways. I think this is 
regardless of any historical inaccuracies, I don't think that was really, from what I've read to Mel's real main agenda. It's pretty obvious to me he was very concerned with, you know, trying to preserve particular things. But I don't think his his agenda was here to get, you know, everything historically like accurate with me all this kind of things. He was here to tell a story. The opening quote is, you know, a great civilization is not conquered from without until it has destroyed itself from within, which was yeah. yeah. That that guy, uh, his name is Will Durant. He and his wife Ariel wrote this like fifteen volume history of everything back in the nineteen fifties, which was very popular at that time. And it, and he really does try to capture the whole story of human civilization across across all the continents. So that's a universal truth. I'm glad you picked up on that because that that frames it. Um, a very similar line. This is this is maybe a little silly, but appears in the 1976 uh, George Lucas novel Star Wars that became his movie. Uh, he begins with, "So it was with the Republic at its height, like the greatest of trees, able to withstand any external attack. The Republic rotted from within, though the danger was not visible from the outside." So that that's us all. And if uh, you know, I live here in the East Bay in California, and when I take my kids. To the opera in San Francisco, because standing room is ten bucks. It's like the height of culture for ten dollars a person. Mm. But we go through the Civic Center of San Francisco, and there's a really interesting spiritual poverty. You know, in such a rich city, you know, there's people laying on the sidewalks uh, on drugs or half half undressed, sort of passed out. Um, and it's it's really it's really hard. You know, I sort of started avoiding downtown while we're waiting for the opera to start. But even so, like. A person who's strung out and on the sidewalk, they'll see a small child coming and they'll kind of apologize and withdraw, you know, like, oh, I'm sorry. Here comes like a dad with some kids. Let me get out of his way. So they they have shame. And we all have every society has this. And the richer you are, the more in danger you are of alienating people who are all alone and sort of go crazy. If it's ancient Rome, if it's uh, ancient Yucatan or if it's San Francisco in 2023. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand. Well, let me jump into to, to something else before getting really deep into the film. And one of the main thing, like I was mentioning with that podcast, which, by the way, I really I like that podcast, is how we all can be a, ten, uh, a biased to a film a lot of times, depending on the, maybe the director, the actors. And it really appears with this film, especially at the height of what was going on with Mel Gibson, even though the film did very, very well in the... The theater from what i read he put 40 million dollars into it and 120 million was made at the box office uh, mm -hmm. this is nothing to sneeze at this is quite a successful movie in a lot of ways um has as time has gone on i think it's kind of fallen on fallen off the radar and i'm sure that a lot of this has to do with 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 mel gibson being the director a lot of people again, have a bias towards something. I'm not going to watch it because it's Mel. He's this or that. It's like we were talking a little bit before beforehand about that movie, Sound of Freedom, and how that's even taken a hit, maybe because I think it's taken a hit personally just because the people that are attached to it. The story yeah. should be just like in this apocalypto, just a universal story. We shouldn't be having political division or, you know, over over this very important topic. Mel Gibson's topic is a little different, of course. It's it's human spirit here. So what are your thoughts? 
Uh, that's such a good question. I and I very much agree with you. Uh, I saw Sound of Freedom um, in July, and I thought it was super important. And I hope like they compare it to uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin. And I think it's going to be an Uncle Tom's Cabin in the sense that it alerts us to a great injustice going on. And what can we as a society do? Like Uncle Tom's Cabin, it's a little preachy. <laughs> uh, and that's that's part of the that's part of the idea. And I hope to have one of the Operation uh, Underground folks on Almost Good Catholics. We've been emailing back and forth. Understandably, they're super busy. They've got a lot going on bigger than me. So at some point when, you know, when it's the right moment, I'll, uh, I can find out how exactly are they rescuing children. I guess that the the protagonist had some kind of uh, MAGA commitments and YouTube gaffes and things like that that they that they said like oh well this is that kind of thing but it's not it's for everybody everybody agrees that child slavery should be uh, ended right and likewise with with Mel Gibson like he got drunk here and there and he railed against Jews and he railed against um, black people and he was not the best husband and you know and i'm sure he's apologized up and down but people cannot cannot forgive that and i think partly because because he as a you know as a, he's such an outspoken catholic and we as the catholics were like hey we've got the right answer and we often we don't often remember to be humble with that there's a a lovely example of a franciscan by the name of um Fran francis saint francis solano and and he says that sometimes the lives of Christians hinder the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like we, if we, uh, if we've got the the way, if we've got the answer, and we're like, hey, you should join this organization because we have found it with a capital I. Right. And then we do something reprehensible. Well, you and I know that we're all sinners. You and I know that we mess up left and right. But somebody on the outside is saying like, well, why would I listen to Mel Gibson? He doesn't seem like such a moral guy. I who don't believe anything. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm better than that. So we should all be very cautious. One, not to be too preachy and pushy, but two, to try to like, before we convert others, we got to convert ourselves. And, um, right. Right. And, and that's a process and it takes a whole lifetime. And I think it's only our example that spreads the gospel more effectively than certainly standing on a, standing on a pulpit and, and declaring it. So that's a cautionary tale for everybody. We all need an aspect of charity. All of us need to give an aspect of charity to the human life, the human cause. It, it's, it's not without its, its challenges. I mean, we've all been there. You know, somebody like Mel Gibson was catapulted to fame quite early as a movie star in the eighties. You know, you, I don't know. I, I think it's a, I think few few people uh can handle that that amount of strain and i doubt i could up into the film a little bit too yes so um, let's take the movie by itself right because okay yeah. we, mel gibson's a complicated man done <laughs> the movie yeah. is a work is a, is just beautiful it's a cinematographical achievement uh of of great proportion um the the shooting the scenes the the way the camera moves through the leaves the way the forest is arranged and just the world. He created a world with 700 um, extras who had to put on makeup every day with tattoos and hair and such detail. You know, nothing is CGI. Everything is is real. He built that city outside of Veracruz. He shot it in the forests of Yucatan and southern Yucatan, very close to where I was as a kid. And it's, it's a spectacular movie and it moves at a clip. And it's really... 
it's a chase, right? The whole thing is a chase as our hero is escaping from the um, the Maya city where he was to be sacrificed, racing back to his village where he hid his wife in a limestone um, sink sinkhole, like a, a, a limestone cistern for collecting water. Well, it starts raining, the water is getting collected, and she's about to give birth to their child, and she's about to drown. And like these, you know, it is, it is a non, it is a perfect adventure. I think he described it as he wanted to make a car chase, <laughs> but he wanted to make it, you know, 500 years ago. And it's a huge achievement. Uh, as the people who, who know so well about film said, um, Scorsese loved it. Tarantino loved it. Um, Spike, Spike Lee loved it. You know, people who know movies and who make movies that we love, love this movie. And I, it's, it's a whole world that he has successfully created and brought us into. Um, so that, that's a great thing he did. And I think it'll grow in time too. You know, people will like it more and more. Yeah. I could see this being like on the Criterion channel or something down the road, you know, and, and yeah. really looking at this as a, as a classic for sure. And I particularly love, it's an American director that used, as you said, the Mayan, the Mayan language within it. A lot of these films that maybe portray other cultures and then they use up English speaking, it's always never quite there with me when this happens. You know, oh, yeah. I watch some of these great movies that might be in taking place in Russia, which I watched recently, a, a, a particular movie and, they were speaking in English and it's just, okay. I know that the audience, it could still kind of convey the same message, but I really want to be transported. Yeah. And that's exactly the right word. You as the viewer are transported. It begins small. You're following a band of hunters in the woods. The opening sequence is a little hunt. It, re it reminds us a bit of uh, last of the Mohicans where, you know, it begins, you're hunting a, a, an animal in this case, a tapir, I think. And, it ends with a hunt where you are, you know, the, the predators turn into the prey. Uh, and then we get to know them in their village. It takes its time in the first 20 minutes to really flesh them out as human beings. You know, there's, we get to meet their families, their children. We get to see the, you know, his, his one friend um, blunted who's having trouble having, you know, he's having trouble conceiving and his mother-in-law yeah. uh, is a really, it's just, like um, a, a harpy making his life miserable and his friends never relent. And they're just always teasing him about that and playing practical jokes. Yeah. And, and like, we're, we're very childlike in that. In childlike. That. Yeah. Puerile. Right. Yeah. And part, part right. of it is that he's the big guy, you know, he's kind of like, he's the big strong one. So they mock him for this way. He's, he's, he's not as big and strong. He's like the obelisk to the asterisk of our, of our protagonist. And uh, our guy, our, our heroes are like this, great guy and his father's this great hunter and you know village leader and we get to know these families and we care about them and we like them and they do that very quickly then they get captured as slaves um by the this marauding band of of mayas from the city and we go with them into this city they've never seen a city and neither we so as they are going from the outskirts to the center and passing through sort of the devastated uh, cornfields and then like the lime limestone quarry pits and then into this amazing marketplace. A marketplace like you've never seen uh, with every detail done like that. They spend like 10, 10 minutes going through there and we see the entire society and we see it with new eyes because we've never seen it and neither have the protagonists. So we they kind of carry us with them into this new world. 
And in the middle of the thing, there, there's the human sacrifice scene. And then the second half of the film is just the escape, uh, which, you know, so it's so well structured. And then, of course, I'm going to say here, uh, stop me if you don't want me to say it, like at the very last moment when it all is lost, our heroes on the beach um, and in the distance, you know, he sees the Spanish ships arrive. So what so and we know what that is, but neither neither the the guy running for his life nor the people trying to kill him know what that is. And it's as if aliens came from outer space. It's uh, and because we just spent two hours with the Maya in their world, in their language, with their costumes, when we see these crazy aliens with hair on their face, wearing metal on their body, right. with garment like clothed head to toe, with you know, on these ships that, that carry men, we're like, wow, that is from another world. And the sense of wonder that we can have at something so familiar as a, as a Spanish Galean 500 years ago uh, is such an, like you've completely forgotten that there were Europeans because you've been a Maya for two hours and you were so invested in the um, the fortunes of these people. It's such a brilliant reversal. I, it, it it knocks my socks off every time, even though I know it's coming. Uh, it I think it's a cinematic moment of genius. To back up to the part when they came in the city real quick. Mm -hmm. it's definitely a lot of people's favorite part of the movie you really get into this new world you really see the the marauders to take the the tribe into the city and and, and i i'm thinking like wow here you go this more advanced quote-unquote advanced culture that has more tech technology and advancements in yeah you it know. is. It is. You're right. But it is. It is. They're they're more advanced materially. Yes. They've they're more, they're, they're, lost their way. Thank, thank you. Thank you. And this is what I, mm. I, I think, you know, my in my view, or at least I'm going to take a Catholic view or spiritual view here that, that an advancement of society a lot of times loses a spiritual depth as well, which in our culture today, I really believe the same thing is, is very much going on. We've lost our way. In, in so many in so many ways the biggest thing of course being that god who was once at the top and should always be at the top is in our society not the main thing for me this yeah. is of course i'll lose secular people here on this particular topic and that's fine i'm not trying to persuade anybody in any particular kind of way but i'm saying that you know in my own particular life living not always like this of course this really returned me to my natural order through that i've returned to natural things natural things of being a man and i think you know from my view this is really what a lot of what mel gibson's saying and is that's why i think that particular uh jaguar paw walks away when the Spanish come up, I think he, he knows yeah. to look at, I've had enough of this. I need yeah. to preserve what I know is right. Now, he may not ultimately be able to walk away because it's going to infiltrate society, which is just what's happening in my own society. I understand I don't put up walls to the secular world here. I'm very much in it. But I'm trying to, of course, balance my natural order of a man 
and how to live a proper, a proper life without being, you know. Well, much. who knows? He, he may have escaped, right? He may have gone far enough into the forest. He may have walked from Yucatan to, you know, what is it? <laughs> that, that's I wish I could do that. I wish I yeah. could go away from a lot of this stuff. I mean, I guess I could, but you here, could here, you here, build you yourself a cabin in Alaska. You can do that. You could, you probably build yourself a cabin in Utah. <laughs> I still have, you know, comforts, certain comforts that, that you know, I, I like to have. And uh, in our American society, money is still quite a necessity. Fair, fair enough. Yeah, no, that, that's right. So he he escapes from, you know, he, he is part of the forest ecosystem. And once he runs out of that city and he gets back, he jumps off of a waterfall, he leaves the river, and now he's in his familiar hunting grounds. And he yells across the waterfall, I'm, you know, I am Jaguar Paw. This is my forest. My father hunted this forest before me my son will hunt it after i'm gone and his son after him and that declaration i am you know like you know i um my name is inigo montoya you killed my father prepare to die or uh neo in the matrix you know my name is neo that sort of thing like i declare that this is who i am this is where i belong and this is where i am a master of my surroundings and he uses that forest with um snakes and poisonous frogs and um, a mud pit and bees and yes. a, an actual jaguar. He he's able to turn that forest against his pursuers, so he's home and he has tremendous wisdom, knowledge, like a sort of a natural science of that place. So I think if he and his wife and their children walk far enough away, they're not gonna they they can live for generations and generations, and yeah. they can be the people who right. speak Maya today. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> it could happen. No, and he sure. makes that, but you're right. And he rejects it. He's like, look, I've seen enough of this of this fancy world. It's true that they have, you know, jade and high buildings, but they've definitely lost their way. Um, I talked to a, a Jewish philosopher named Jacob Howland, uh, who who's at the University of uh, Austin, uh, and he says, you know, we should think about the things we build when we start to worship them as idolatry. That you know, worshiping the things you build is a bit like building the Tower of Babel. Those Maya pyramids where you're building them for your own glory, that's the Tower of Babel. When we start to worship, uh, I don't know, robots and AI and our own achievements, uh, and we forget about God because we're so glued to our phones, it's it's all idolatry. And idolatry leads to ruin, as it did with the golden calf at the base of Mount Sinai. So uh, he's, I think he he understands that, you know. There is there is a natural religion. God speaks to us all, even even those who don't know the biographical Jesus of the first century. Creation itself is the gospel. God is present to everybody everywhere. I think he he demonstrates that, and also like they show compassion to the other people who've been uprooted and driven out of their homelands. Like they are they are kind to strangers. They're the only ones who are kind to strangers. Jaguar pause band. Yes, Jaguar. I like the fact too that this is a intercultural war. These people are ethnically the same, correct? Yeah, correct. And I think yes. that's something, as you said with the Solzhenitsyn quote, the devil exists in everything. You know, we get so busy in our culture today, modern culture, pointing the figure at this group and that group. The white man's guilty of this, is guilty of that. And a lot of times, I think we're really getting off the main point here. Because as we know, yeah. there's black on black violence, 
Mm -hmm. we see in this movie uh, which is very true just inner tribes that that you got evil over here okay evil comes in and it doesn't care if you're of the same kin the devil does not care if you look the same all cultures have Uh, yeah slavery within i mean who was doing the slavery in here the same yeah and i think we often get into the trap of saying you know somebody will say i feel really bad about my white privilege so i'm gonna say look at what the white people did to black people look at what the spaniards did to the people in the yucatan and then we are tempted to say yeah but you know isn't it better to to be um, forced into a mission that you don't want to go to to work in fields that you don't want to work on rather than to be underneath a stone knife on top of a pyramid? So, But one doesn't have anything to do with the other. It would have been better had the Christians come with persuasion and love rather than allow those conquistadors to force Indians onto their encomiendas to dig for gold or work for them in right. uh in an early modern slavery model. So, okay, so they didn't do human sacrifice, but once upon a time we did human sacrifice. That's evident in the story of uh, Abraham and Isaac. When God tells Abraham, go sacrifice Isaac, he doesn't say, what are you talking about? I never heard of such a crazy thing. He says, okay, right? Because we had human sacrifice 4,000 years ago. Right. Um, That same historian I referred to earlier, Camila Townsend, she makes the point that you got to compare Maya not to 16th century Spaniards, but to second millennium BC near Eastern people. Because remember how long it took humans to cross that land bridge and settle in America. It took a long time. The first Californians only got here 20,000 years ago, right? The first people in South, at the tip of South America only got there 12,000 years ago. So they just had a much less time to settle, to farm, to build cities, to do all that stuff we did in the Near East thousands of years earlier, they're just getting around to it now. So they're not primitive because somehow they're dumb or somehow their race is inferior. They're primitive because they just got here. And in addition, they didn't have all the stuff that the people had in the Near East from whom we are descended as uh, European conquerors, right? They didn't have so many domesticated animals in the Americas or so many grains that could give you a stable diet. They only had corn and beans. And corn and beans is not the same thing as uh, wheat and barley and uh, rye and oats and all the things that you could build a civilization on. If you ever read that Jared Diamond book, Guns, Germs, and Steel, he he really makes that argument just by looking at how many animals are domesticated in places like India and China and Europe and Persia and Babylon and, and Egypt, the places that, that built our Western civilization versus how many animals can be domesticated in the new world. They just didn't have the resources. They didn't have the time. And so for the Spaniards, it's more like time travel. You're you're sailing the ocean, but you've landed in you know ancient Babylon or something like that. And so, wow, they built the Tower of Babylon and they're killing people. And we did that too. We did that too. So um, a little humility, I think. You know, we we shouldn't be too amazed at our own achievements. We just had a giant head start. And you know, there's a trick. There's a trap for both people to say our race is superior, race is inferior. And the reverse trap is available. Our race, our race is evil, and this race is somehow, you know, the pure, noble, um, primitive people close to the earth. You know, that's true for everybody everywhere all the time. All of it is true for everybody because humans are humans, are humans are humans. But that moment of human sacrifice was horrific to the to the Spaniards when they found it. And so they recoiled in horror and fear. 
and they wanted to destroy it, even though many Spanish missionaries were really good. My favorite is Bartolome de las Casas, who, you know, who said, like, you, you can't, you can't enslave these people if you want them to become Christians. And Queen Isabella, who died kind of young, also said, like, you can't enslave my vassals in America. They're supposed to, you're supposed to be making them Christians. But there was such a distance from, from her court in Valladolid to whatever some encomendero wanted to do in Mexico. Like the orders came from far away and you could do whatever. And if you're trying to get rich and exploit the people, there was very there was there was kind of impunity. Uh, and you know, the church can't push you around. If you have uh, guns, guns and steel. <laughs> if you're, if you're, you know, Cortez. Cortez is a villain, and Las Casas is a hero. And likewise, the fellow I quoted, uh, uh, Saint Francis of Solano, is a hero, and Motolinia is a hero. There's a lot of really heroic Catholic Christians in Mexico. I mean, it's a Christian country today, right? And so is the Philippines, and so are other places where this empire appeared, despite the predatory inclinations of some of its worst actors. There were also heroic and loving and humble people who spread the gospel effectively, not only with words, but with example, and protected the Indians against against their would-be exploiters. And there was plenty of American Indian allies who said, like, I've had enough of the Aztecs, Lachkala Indians, for instance, we've had enough of the Aztecs capturing us. We don't know who you are, but we know we don't like them, so let's help you go fight and capture Tenochtitlan. And so very small number of Spaniards with large number of uh, Indian allies were able to overthrow these old civilizations quickly. And again, in Peru, very quickly. Um, and lest it be forgotten, there was a very small amount of Spaniards. So everybody who was running the Spanish empire, most of them were natives too. They were just like, this is a better order. This is, yeah, it's, yeah, it's also there's inequality, but we're used to inequality. We just we just don't want any more human sacrifice. You know, rewinding back to the, the, the beginning quote of the film I wanted to touch on again, which was a great civilization is not conquered from without until it's destroyed itself from within. As as someone who who really does like Mel Gibson, like myself, I'm a big follower of Mel Gibson. Mm-hmm. I, I like I like a lot of what he says. I've, I've been following him for many years and I know his his Catholicism is rather traditional in a lot of ways and I personally don't have any problem with that. This is my viewpoint. I, I think he's also sending a message here to about the Catholic Church. It's my view. Because, and, and maybe it's good for people to realize too, as we're talking about that the there could be problems in the Catholic Church. The, the Catholic Church can only be overtaken from within, not from without, which is what the quote is kind of say. We are also under attack here. We are very much under attack in many ways from forces that, and, and, and most honestly, we can't even see with the eyes. Mm. And I think people who want to look at all the bad things that may have happened within the church and certain things forget that we are in, in a battle. We are very much the tribe that is trying to hold on to particular things, and there is evil that wants to 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 attack us and sometimes this evil i'll just say it gets gets into the church into the church as well we go back for thousands of years you know that's totally right uh, i admire mel gibson in his most recent role in father stew because he, <laughs> he was father stew's dad and yeah. that guy had a troubled relationship with his father you know like yeah. he's he plays himself as a flawed person trying to 
climb toward the light, trying to repent, trying to repent, trying to uh, embrace the gospel and and repent from his sinful ways. And Father Stu, like his dad, they were both, you know, feisty. Sometimes they were drunken asses. They did all the things that we all do, and yet they found mercy and salvation in the church. And I think that's what Mel Gibson's secular critics will never let him will never never accept that from him. Look, you know, yes, you you failed. You are a sinner just like just like me. But I'm sitting here anonymously on Twitter throwing slings at you, and you're out there getting taking them all. Um, I don't think it bothers him because it's a this kind of a little social media martyrdom, and I'm sure he's used to that. I'm sure every famous person becomes used to that. Um, I think where the church needs to change is it. You know, we, we keep having the scandals are the scandals, but then there's these cover ups and these moving of priests and these bishops who didn't do enough at the time and won't say so. And that's where we're fighting, because look at we we're 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 sinners, too. But we we haven't figured out how to it's almost like we're afraid that if we say, look at these terrible things that have been done in the name of the church. I mean, very contrary to everything the church stands for, but done in the name and with the trappings of the church. And how how you how you get these older clerics who are really just trying to defend the reputation rather than, I mean, Pope Francis is brilliant at always meeting with victims like he did in Portugal most recently, like he does everywhere he goes. He's like, let's first talk about the people that, you know, villains, you know, sheep's uh, wolves and sheep clothing in the trappings of the church have wounded you. You're the first person I need to talk to because those are those are my sins before I start preaching about any anything else. So. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think we're I think we've come a long way just in one generation. So I but I'm I'm just I think so, too. Yeah. Um, you know, I was actually reading something Bishop Aaron said recently. Oh, he wrote something or said something on Twitter or talked about the problem in the church. He's going a little harder lately on things that how the, the outside culture is infiltrating our our, our church. So he, he, he had said that 79 percent of, of Catholics are leaving the faith before the age of 23. And that college can often be a watershed moment for young people making making the choice. He's trying to get his his book out to people, and I, I'm glad that he's bringing some of this up because it it really backs up the film and what I'm what I was also trying to what my main thing from the film that I take away is is, is preserving. There's nothing wrong with preserving your culture, right? If that's yeah. only if you're doing other things that are, you know, like we say, might be racist to it, to particular things or do that. But there's nothing wrong with building up inside your group and protecting, protecting your beliefs, your heritage, your traditions when they are being constantly attacked. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's the logic of the confessional. We have to say these things out loud so that we ourselves become separated from them, so that we who we are is different from the sins that we have committed, because that's the way to separate yourself from the sin and then repent, like literally uh, metanoia, literally turning the other way. And that's where I think is 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 our is is our next step. When we had the synod. Uh, on synodality in my parish a couple of years ago now is this was I don't know how long ago, a year and a half something it was on zoom so I know it was a little while ago instead of in person um, you know the parishioners here are like well we're really upset about the 
the, the clerical scandal, the, the scandals. Scandals is what we're upset about. And our pastor, whom I admire a great deal, said, you just, you should know that the scandals with, you know, like sexual abuse within the church is lower than sexual abuse in general, right? It's, the, there's sinners everywhere. There's humans everywhere. The church is built of humans. And in, you know, Catholic predators, predators dressed as priests are fewer than predators not dressed as priests. They're like people who are not priests and are abusive are more in proportion. Um, and that's a very important point. But I also think that it's different for priests, just like it's different for you and I who are teachers. Like we we have a higher standard or if you're a scoutmaster or if you're a policeman or if you're a um like any kind of politician, if a politician does something, it's everybody's business that like just because other people are just as guilty, we who are professing a a a different path, a moral path, a path that's supposed to renounce the self and embrace God, uh, it's a we have a higher bar. I, I don't I don't like saying like, yeah, but other other people are 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 sinners too. It's like, you're right. We did do that wrong. Let's do it better. And let's not and let's not pretend it wasn't a terrible thing. I'm only in charge of my own sins. I'm not in charge of your sins. People need to be, as I said earlier, they need to be charitable to the human journey here. <laughs> yeah. We're all really trying to do our best. We're all trying to do our best. And we love our faith. We have particular things that have made our tribe and our group, I, I believe, very, very special. And, uh, you know, we're here to outreach, to help the poor, to do all these kind of things. It's part of our mission. Of course, Absolutely. we're going to have some bad apples. No Absolutely. And we forget that. You know why? Because we, wherever you are in your advance, that becomes the new normal. So we assume there should be schools. We assume there should be hospitals. We assume there should be help for the poor. Well, these are all inventions of the Catholic Church in the West. There were no schools a thousand years ago until the Catholics made them. There were no hospitals. There was no, you know, there was no alms for the poor. This is all the work of uh, armies and armies of friars and clerics and ordinary devout lay people who have built this society that we live in. This society that we live in is such a Christian society through and through where we believe in the dignity and equality of all people that we forget how we got here. And so that's normal, right? It's always, it's always harder to everybody registers it more if you lose five bucks than if you find five bucks, you know, and, and we just, whatever we are, that's, of course, we're going to have care for the poor. Everybody has care for the poor. Well, that's not true. That's, that's an invention of Christians in the West. Uh, and so that's also a, an, an important point, which I think is forgotten. So the question is where to next? Where to next? In is spreading the gospel. Yeah. Well, you know, Bishop Barron, it's the same thing the other day. If dumbed down Catholicism, has not helped evangelization. These are strong words. This is mm -hmm. something that I've never, I have never heard him speak like this because I've always felt he's been uh, very much in the middle in a lot of ways and maybe doesn't want to, but I think it's gotten to a point and, and he's really, you know, blaming a lot of the uh, evangelization within the, the, the pastors and the watering down and I would say from what I've read and what I listened to him on the bending over to the secular society, bringing it into the church and getting it watered down. Now we're losing people, but he's saying that younger people want authentic Catholicism. That doesn't mean that they need to be Latin mass, you know, extreme this. I'm not saying Latin mass or extreme because I love the Latin mass. I don't think, I don't think that's extreme at all. 
But I think a lot of people, they want substance to be a part of it. I know when I return to the Catholic faith, when I return, I'm sure you might feel the same way. It's like, yeah, I really want the truth. I don't need the rock and roll music to come in into the mass <laughs> in order to get yeah. my spirit up, right? That's not why I'm here. I mean, I'll, I don't even need, honestly, I don't even need to have the best priest delivering a homily that's going to knock me off my my feet. Because I yeah. know the Eucharist, of course, yeah. the body of Christ is there. And I want really an authentic delivery of the faith to teach me how to live good moral values in a society that, as Bishop Rivers say, is really losing its moral compass. Uh, absolutely right. And it's better for it to be hard to do. And you are insufficient when you start, but slowly, slowly through prayer and, and effort and graces from God, you are able to reach the better plateau than to be told, oh, everything you're doing is fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I'm okay. You're okay. Right? <laughs> you, you raise kids. I mean, you, yeah. you you have kids. I'm a school teacher. Oh, we're both school teachers. Yeah. And I started this year, sixth, seventh, and eighth, by the way. So I mm -hmm. got a really big difference. Mm -hmm. And they are yearning for discipline. And yeah. I, do your kids... I mean, they want to see how far they can take things, right? I'm talking yeah. about kids and everything. And this is the same way in the faith and and, and everything. And I, I I test God. I'm always trying to see how far I can go, what I can get a, get, get away with. <laughs> yeah. No. And just I mean, and, and let it be a let it be something you can aspire to and and reach for. And when you fail, know that that's what okay. We love you and try again. Let me help you. Let me pick you back up. Dust you off. Try again. And I have found that every every time I've grown, it has been through prayer and trying again and praying and trying again. And I'm a better person than I was five years ago, than I was 10 years ago, than I was 20 years ago. But if somebody said like, oh, it's fine, you know, go ahead, try to have uh, sex with lots of people, look at pornography, drink, take drugs, cheat, steal, lie. It's fine. We're all we're all just it's all good. God loves you. You do you. You do you. I'm okay. You're okay. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You do you. There is no. There's no. Why would I? Everything is subjective. Relativism. That's really unsatisfying. That's really unsatisfying. Yeah. And uh, I'd rather be a failure at something that's really exciting, uh, and and watch myself become stronger at it, than be told like, now nah, you're already there," because then you're gonna look around and say like, "Well, this is not, this is not much of anything. Like, wh why?" Surely, surely God intended, uh, you know, for us um, to do more exciting things. There's a really nice quotation from Hamlet. I, I really feel this about the Maya cities. You know, there's like the rich people lounging around, the Maya king and the Maya queen. They, the king looks really sedated. He's just like kind yes. of in a, he's just like gazing off into the distance. The, the high priest is really running the show. There's like that little fat kid sitting there. You know, and there's all these really decadent people painted and dressed in jade and showing contempt for the poor and just sort of like lounging around, you know, like every decadent stereotype of, of ancient Rome and stuff like that. And um, then we have these hunters who still who still have a lot of virtue, like true, true virtue. Uh, and it reminds me of, of of Hamlet's moment when he's looking over at the armies of Fortinbras and he's wondering, like, what am I what am I even doing? And he, he says, what is a man if his chief? good and market of his time be but to sleep and feed a beast no more sure he that made us with such large discourse looking before and after gave us not that capability 
and godlike reason to fust in us unused. And that's that's what I think. Like people, the people Bishop Barron is talking about, they're like, is this it? Just TikTok and video games and drugs and money yeah. and I'm I'm ordering food and I'm watching TV. That's nothing. That's nothing. To, that's not that's not a life. That's yeah, just that's being very dissatisfying. You know, like comfort. It's good. It, it, comfort. It, it's good to a degree, and it also uh, scares me. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And so we need one day out of seven, like today. Happy, happy Sabbath. Yes, yes. Well, you know, <laughs> tomorrow, we have a day. We should be resting nicely on Sundays. It should be a day that we don't overdo it. It should be a day to be respectful of the Lord's, the Christian Sabbath. It should be something that you know, we acknowledge and put God at the center of. No, I agree. Two days out of seven is better. <laughs> yeah, with an occasional with an occasional seven. Monday off for Labor Day was just even better. That's the perfect amount. Yeah. But so after that, we lose our minds. We we get really like everything loses its flavor. Everything loses its sweetness. Everything loses its salt. So if salt loses its saltiness, what what good is it just to be trampled? I like that. He's he's, he's he's standing. He's like watching the armies of Norway crossing Denmark, and they're off to go fight in Poland. Uh, and he's like, what am I even doing? Look at those guys, you know, and maybe I'm not saying go invade Poland. That's the opposite of what I'm saying. I'm just saying, like, look at people doing doing I, an adventure. I think for what you purpose. were doing was make a segue back to Apocalypto because Mel yeah. Gibson was in Hamlet. Yes, he was. Oh, yes. Yes, he was. So let, 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 let's finish this up here. And, and Absolutely. Obviously, we both recommend the movie. We think it's a central walk. And we, we both, I mean, at least I'll just speak for me and let you speak. But I think this is a classic one. It's just a, it's a perfect film. Yeah, I agree. It's, it may, and now maybe some people won't, like, there's a lot of violence. That's something to keep in mind. But, I, you know, I'm an artist. Mm -hmm. I don't like violence for the sake of violence but he uses what's necessary to convey a point you know and plus again like i say i'm very I'm, i've been a musician I, I have an artsy side to me uh you know i was in the film composition world for many years so oh by the way which i love the film too. okay for 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 people to watch it and maybe turned off a little bit by the violence you have to know there's uh there's a necessity to this i think and you also just have to accept that this is his particular style. Just like in music, there's particular people that play things in a certain way or they, they write in a certain manner to convey a point. Um, but yes, I think this is going to be a classic. It's already how many years old anyways? And still 2006, so 15, 13? Yeah, yeah. It, it still holds up very, very well. 17? Yeah, yeah. So if you haven't seen it, I think it's I think it's definitely a treat. Indeed. Yeah, it's a very important film. It's a I I like your description of perfect. It is perfect. It's complete. There's nothing missing. And it's it's a whole world in itself. It expands from the village to this city and then contracts back to this uh extremely dynamic uh chase through the forest. Plenty of violence, but that is also the way of the jungle. And I don't think it's gratuitous and where um, you know, part of the horror that the slavers, the slave raiders do to their village is sexual violence, and that is done sort of off camera, so you know what's going on, but you didn't like it's not it's not in the sense yeah. that you're you're it's not like a slasher movie where you're supposed to 
revel in the suffering of humans and the splatter of red paint. There's plenty of red paint, I'm sure, but it's uh, um, the this human sacrifice. I think is done very well because human sacrifice uh, is something we're very far away from at this point, but we shouldn't ignore it because it exists in many cultures, um, including the cultures of the ancient uh, Near East, from which we are from which we are descended, uh, at least um, at least through our religious tradition. So uh, it the Maya are awful and they're also heroic the maya did sacrifice plenty of people plenty of spaniards saw it with their eyes plenty of um christian uh, friars who had who were descended from Mayas, who had one like a, a, a spanish father and an indigenous mother they they write about this too uh the criticism makes sense in the fact that we don't know that much about that world the way we might know about ancient rome because we know about ancient rome from um I'm sure from lots of you know plays and that that you what we read in high school and college and BBC movies like I Claudius and things like Spartacus and but it, it would be as if all we knew about ancient Rome was Gladiator, which I know probably has way more <laughs> historical problems uh, than than this movie, but nobody talks about that one. So, <laughs> um, so that that that's. That's where it is, but let's not let's not sugarcoat it. Let's not say like, oh, everything was perfect until the evil Spanish came up, because that because that's not true. The Spanish are good and evil. The Maya are good and evil. Right, I think you that's and I are good and evil. You, dear listener, are good and evil. And let's and let us repent and embrace the gospel and be better and better and better and better every day. Oh, thanks, Chris. No, I really appreciate it. this. is a, This is a really good interview and let me let me ask you what do you got what, what do you got coming up next? What's what? what What's coming on the almost good Catholics? I've recorded a bunch of them toward the end of the summer before the academic year picked up. So I have some really nice ones that I'm editing. Uh, one one with a just a luminous nun named Sister Mary Joseph, who writes about being um, a Benedictine nun in Missouri. Um, I've got yeah. yeah, I think that'll be that'll come out on September 14th, and uh, then. Um, I've recorded a really interesting talk about the book of Maccabees with uh, a professor here at UC Berkeley. And that oh, book wow. is fantastic too. I, I hope Mel Gibson was supposed to make one and he quarreled with some other collaborators. Uh, so somebody needs to make an, a really great movie about the book of Maccabees. Cause that is a nonstop, that is a nonstop action movie. That whole, those whole two books. If you, I was surprised to find Alexander the great in the Bible, but he's there. And, uh, the true origin of Hanukkah, it's there. So um, that would be a cool movie if Mel Gibson well, wanted to make I'm it. just waiting if Mel Gibson is going to actually finish the, you know, the second. Oh, yeah. Movie. The Harrowing of Hell, right? The Right. The, the Resurrection. Dishonest. Yeah. And the Resurrection. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That, uh, well, when that comes out, I'm sure you and I will talk about it. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, again, it, it was, it was a, a great conversation. I I really enjoyed it. It's always great to see you. And you know, it's an honor and a pleasure for me uh, always to be on your program. Let's end in a prayer here today. Yeah. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, 
by the power of God, cast in hell Satan and all the evil spirits that crawl on the world, seeking ruin of souls. Amen. And may God bless you and everybody out there watching. May you please find peace within Christ and love your neighbors. Nails, spear shall pierce him through the cross. Be born for me, for you. Hail, hail the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. Chris Odinitz and Jonathan Fessenden recorded this Missio Day interview on Saturday, September 2nd, 2023. That was the Feast of the September Martyrs, 191 Catholics who were massacred at the Carmes prison during the French Revolution in 1792. I'm sharing it as episode 76 of Almost Good Catholics on Thursday, January 18th, 2024, which is the feast day of St. Ulfrid of Sweden, a missionary who was martyred on this day in 1028 by Norse pagans when he chopped down a statue of Thor. Our music is from Josh and Margot of the Great Space Coaster Band. Check them out at www.gscoasterband.com. Our logo, The Image of the Dog, comes from a stained glass window at the Monastery of Santo Domingo de Silos in Spain and is used with the permission of the Dominican Friars of England, Scotland, and Wales from their website, www.english.op.org. I'm Chris Odinitz. I thank you for listening. Email me at almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. I would enjoy it. I promise to answer. And I'll talk to you next time on Almost Good Catholics. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds God and angels sing.